0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Tracy Brower of Steelcase and Dusty Deustmars, SVP of Digital Services for JLL, discuss Give to Get, Security, and the Future of Workplace Culture.
1: I'm Steve Binder, a member of Cornet faculty, and welcome to this session on Give to Get, Security, privacy, and the future of workplace culture. Uh, please introduce Dr. Tracy Broward, Principal of Applied Research and Consulting at Steelcase, and Dusty Dyster-Mars. Senior nice. VP wow. at some company called JLL. Is that, how's that? that is correct. All right, with that, I'll turn it over to them. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Appreciate uh, everybody being here today. Uh, first off, a little bit of business. Uh, the, yeah, well, our We're gonna talk a little bit about security in the workplace um, and and how this all kind of has transformed over the past few years. Wanna thank Mohawk Group for sponsoring this session. If I can get to the slide. Yeah, okay, great. Um, You've been probably seeing this slide a lot today, but I think uh, for this session in particular, it's okay to kind of pause on it for a minute. Like literally speaking, if there was an actual emergency and we know how those can extend into some pretty horrible situations. Uh, exit is probably, best one is right there. If there was a lot of congestion, I'd head down even further um, to the hall where there's a lot more doors. So the fact that we have to have that conversation is kind of why we're here today. turn to Tracy?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We think this is a really, really interesting discussion to have around security and privacy, but how that relates to culture. So that's what we'll be talking a little bit about So Steelcase did some really interesting research that looked at concerns of senior leaders, including real estate and facility leaders. And this is what we found, is that security had come up to the top of the list in terms of things that were of concern to people. One of the things that's really interesting as we look at the trends around security and privacy is that lots of companies in tech or finance or insurance used to be ahead of the curve on security and privacy. But... With the Sony breach, the Korea-Sony breach, and with the WannaCry virus, security and privacy all of a sudden became a board-level issue. So we found that a lot of organizations who normally weren't as concerned about security and privacy ended up being concerned about it. So it's just really interesting how that's shifting and coming up to the top in terms of a type of concern. So we really want to talk about both of these. One of the things that we find is helpful is to separate them and understand the differences. Security is really about trust. Security is about I'm giving you my information. Can I trust you with the information that you've got? You've got lots of information on me as an employee or Fitbit has lots of information on my, I don't know, bio health. And what are they doing with that and to what extent can I trust the company with it? privacy is all about control and the more people have control the more comfortable they are sharing more information and with privacy concerns uh, being mitigated to some extent so the difference between trust and control is interesting
1: so security comes in all kinds of different forms and and you know data subjects there's so much data available uh, from smart desks to lighting sensors to the fact that uh, all of your employee data, like we just said, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff there. Another kind of interesting thing, you know, if your building has been constructed in the past 20 years or so, or it's been renovated even, your elevators are connected to the Internet. Your lighting, your um, HVAC, everything. Um, does anybody watch Grey's Anatomy? I, I have a friend that does. Um, <laughs> No, but they actually had this episode where the the hospital was taken under cyber hostage or whatever, and they were going to shut. They, they already shut down the lighting on a surgical floor or whatever. But this is kind of um, it, that's actually reality. There's been a Target store that was actually breached in in a similar manner. There was uh, a Department of Homeland Security space uh, in a in a leased building that was actually breached and they messed with the HVAC and all this good stuff. So there's a lot more stuff than than you would you would think about. Again, it's not the um, chief information officer setting up those networks. It's usually more of a facilities type person, no offense, right? But it's it's th- that level of extra um uh, it, well so anyway, pr- Prevention is, is a no-brainer, but we've, we've actually kind of gone beyond that. We're expecting this stuff to happen. We're expecting to get attacks, and so it's a little bit of a new strategy.
0: Yeah, absolutely, that's a really big deal. When you talk to security people, they say, we used to be about preventing breaches, now we know they're going to occur, and it's about mitigating them and controlling them once they occur, to your point. And we're all data subjects, we are all subjects now, and so us having a level of control is a much bigger deal. This is really interesting. Hackers used to work on hacking into systems. The new systems are looking, or the new processes are looking at hacking into people. And so what's interesting about that is all the phishing emails you get and all the social engineering, it's no longer about hacking into the system. It's about getting into systems through breaches that have to do with humans who are trying to do the right thing and have good intentions but get sucked into the process. So there's a social engineering component of this that's really interesting. The other thing that's interesting about this, if you really look into security and privacy, it has everything to do with an organization's culture. It's not just about security. Frequently when there are security breaches, it has to do with a culture that isn't necessarily – demonstrating value for its um, employees as much and so they may be less worried about their organization or their brand or it may be a um, culture that isn't investing as much as it maybe should in terms of new technologies and new approaches to security so there's definitely a culture connection and so we can say gosh there was a security issue but it may be even more a culture issue
1: so you guys can kind of read this here and I'll take a poll in a second, but how do you feel this at your organization? Are you absolutely security is front and center. We feel it. It impacts everything we do, how we use our cell phone, email, all this stuff or B, somewhat C. Yeah. It's not really on the radar yet. Raise the hands. A it's real. Wow. Okay. Anybody B. Yeah. And C. Oh, It, it is what it is, right? It's, it's a, it's a little scary. Um, and so for what value are we willing to exchange our privacy, right? We, there's, there's so many things that we, um, again, I, I, I use the email app for, for an example. I, do any of you use your true native email app on your phone? Or is there some extra layer of protection that you got a second or third party app in addition to the email so you can use the email? Things like that. We. Um, we want our, our clients to know that, that their data is safe and that it's protected. But at the same time, too, it's, it's this balance that we're, that we're trying to find. Um, so protecting the organization employee, um, it's, 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 it extends to our brand, right? And, again, there's so many um, ways that this can be time-consuming. It can be just kind of outright annoying. Anybody use Okta Like 10 times a day to open even your desktop applications. It has to send a message to your cell phone just so you can get into the database. All of this stuff. Where is that balance? Is it annoying, but it helps our company and our brand and our image?
0: Yeah, this is a really big deal, right? Because sometimes these can be in conflict. We want our brand to be about transparency and availability. We want our employee experience to be about ease and employees feeling valued. And then we ask for 20 different stages of authentication. And so sometimes those things can be not just annoying, but they can send a message that we may not trust people. We talked to a client and they have this very, very cool innovation lab and they took people through the innovation lab all the time. But before they could go through the innovation lab, they had to sign a nine-page NDA and they took their cell phones away like the rule was don't take pictures in our innovation lab but they also like took their cell phones and put them in a basket right like really really careful about the security but what message was that sending so it's just interesting to think about what those messages are and what those approaches are so here's another question for you I'll read them all and then we'll ask you to answer just like we did to what extent do you personally have concerns about security and privacy? A, I'm an open book. I have nothing to hide and everything to gain by total openness with tech systems. Or B, privacy is going away and sometimes I'd prefer more, but I'm living with the changes and I'm going with the flow. Or C, I'm opting out as much as possible. A cabin in the woods is looking better and better right now. How many for A? Wow. We've got a, a couple of um, avant-garde. How about B? Yeah, same here. How about C? Anybody for a cat? Ah, I love it. All right, you are the people that we are going to come visit when the apocalypse happens. We will be there. Will you have extra water and sauerkraut and all that good stuff? Awesome. All right, so here's where it gets really, really interesting. We think there's a relationship between security and privacy and culture. So what do we know about culture? Culture is most effective when it is transparent and open. When we have an information-rich environment, there's a wonderful book called Team of Teams by General McChrystal. And one of the things that we did in Afghanistan is we went really, really off um, the beaten path and shared lots and lots of information with everybody at the same time to the lowest levels. And that helped us succeed in some really new ways. The point is that a culture that is extraordinarily open, information-dense, where everybody has all the information, is the most successful culture, according to research. On the other hand, that can be a challenge from a security standpoint. We'll talk about that in a minute. Cultures are best when there's clarity of purpose and everybody has lots and lots of clarity and knows which direction they're going. We're all marching together. Trust in psychological security is about I can share openly and I feel like I'm not going to get killed for that. Like there's a level of psychological security where I feel emotional comfort. And another part of a really, really good culture is a culture that's utterly customer-focused. So these are things we know about culture, but how do those relate to the um, uh, security and privacy kinds of issues? First, we're going to ask you a question about culture. To what? Are you doing this question?
1: So you you can see this here. To a a great extent, we define it, talk about it, and continually seek to nurture and sustain our culture. B, uh, to some extent, we have define, uh, defined our desired culture, but the rest is uh, left up to individual leaders and teams. Or C, not at all. Like you said, much of culture is invisible. A raise of a hand for A. Oh, it's so awesome to see. So awesome to see. B. Okay. And C. Okay. It's amazing. Uh, Jacob Morgan, uh, a lot of you guys know him um, in terms of employee experience advantage. says 40% of your organization is made up by culture, right? Your your culture should define how you guys do things, right? 30% more physical design and workspaces and then 30% technology. All of these are actually intersecting in this type of situation. And um, I'm, I'm telling you, if you're not talking about your culture, even though it's difficult, I get it's difficult, but... Even if, you, if it's undefined, I think behind closed doors, a lot of you could probably answer what your culture really is. And sometimes you've, you could describe your former company's culture, right? Um, so, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about tensions.
0: So if we know what works well about culture and we know what's important about security, here's where the tension comes in. The best cultures, as we know, are super open. But the best security and privacy processes are about protection. And there's um, there's clarity is critical in culture, but we want confidentiality. You get the idea. These are some really, really critical tensions. We want a culture that's information-rich and information-dense, but we also want to place limits on people. So you think about um, anyone who is... Uh, acting in the world, right, is at some level an ambassador of your company and your brand. And so what are those rules about social media and what are the ways that they share and to what extent are people perceived as sharing on behalf of the organization versus on behalf of themselves as individuals? So there's this interesting tension. And we think there's an interesting way to resolve the tension. And here it is. It's about give to get. When I heard a wonderful quote from somebody that said, you know, if, you're, if all you're doing is getting information from employees and not giving something back, you're just taking. And so there's an opportunity give to get. This means when people get more in return, they're willing to give more. And so we think that some of the ways that we can really um, provide for employees have to do with these, and we'll talk through some of these ideas.
1: How many of your organizations are looking at some level of utilization data? Badge data or, okay. Um, so the, we, we have the ability today through IoT to get extremely granular in that, right? So whether that's a furniture sensor or it's, you have the mobile app and there are sensors in the, uh, in the ceiling or you, technically IT can be looking at your network login times, right? And so we can get a sense of that. Now, if that's being used to better inform HR policy decisions... Maybe it's clear that people work from home, uh, w- when they work from home, they are actually logged into the network maybe 45 minutes longer per day or two hours a day. Should we then give them the option to work from home three days a week? Um, there's, 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 there's a balance there, right? Um, I think the presenter before was talking about opt-in, right? And that can be really key too. Maybe there's, there's a mobile app that in a free address environment allows you to find people, um, if you're concerned about you know, somebody's tracking me or, or, or seeing me you know, throughout the workplace, well, part of it, you're already at the workplace, right? And they may have issued you the cell phone anyway. Um, and if you're looking for people, especially in the free address environment, that's, that's one of the first you know, complaints everybody makes, right? I, I don't know where anybody, anybody sits anymore. So as you're trying to find and, and locate and access people, there's, there's that balance, right? If I opt in, I have that, I have that added advantage.
0: Yeah, we think there are three things that are magical about this. Opt-in, opt-out, and turn-off. When we give people the option to opt-in, they are so much more likely to do that because it gives them a sense of control. When we give people the option to opt-out, they are so much less likely to do that because they feel like they've got some control. And we know that our Alexa devices have red switches and off switches, so it's really critical that we also give people the option for the off button. The thing that's really interesting, though, is if my company is um, gathering all this information, first of all, being utterly transparent about it is key, right? The more people know that this is being gathered, the better. And the more they get something back, right? So Dusty gave the example... Um, Microsoft Analytics has an amazing new package, um, and it really looks at everything related to your calendaring and your um, email. So you can look at who's communicating with whom, what are the f- um, response times on email, what are the subject lines in emails. So what are we what are we meeting about anyway? What levels of hierarchy are in a meeting, and are we therefore being efficient or inefficient in terms of our decision making? What time do I turn on in the morning, and what time do I turn off in the evening? And there. Therefore, at what level, even if I've done things in the, in the interim, at what level does Steelcase kind of have my brain from turn on to turn off time, right? Who am I communicating with inside and outside of the organization? All of those things feel, can feel very creepy unless you get really, really cool information as a result. Like, wow, insights about the way I keep my calendar and how I could be more efficient, or insights about um, how work is being done in our organization and how we could be more efficient. There's even a way to look at, are people sending emails during meetings? Like, are we multitasking, or are we really focusing in the moment together? Those things can be very good for me as an employee if you can help me figure out, you my employer, how to be more efficient and more effective and therefore gain back time and quality of life. Here's another example. Um, helping me curate my career and my job fit. So let's say that my organization is gathering information about my skills, and so there's a skills database that's a give, right? The employee's giving, but what's the employee getting? Are they getting career advice? Are they getting career pathing? Are they getting better ideas about how they can develop even within their own existing role in terms of other opportunities within the organization? That's another example of give to get. And then finally, um, how do we potentially give people options around managing their stress or their health, right? If you know everything about how much I'm sleeping, how much water I'm drinking every day, and if I'm staying hydrated, how much I'm walking, how many steps I'm taking, what's the get on that for employees? So our opportunity is really to think about how we give back to employees when we're taking so much, right? I heard about a really interesting system that your rest is using just an hour ago. They have sensors on um, restroom entr- entrances. Some of you probably are like way ahead you know about this a hundred years now sensors on restroom entrances and they know how many people are coming in and out so they know how often that restroom has to be serviced right so sensors on restrooms you go oh my god like like what's the like how far does this all go right but if there's a benefit to it right restrooms are cleaner that's a big deal so this sensing everywhere is and ubiquity is really interesting but it's about quality of life in the end and how we return to employees that quality of life opportunity So finally, what are our lessons learned? We think transparency is absolutely everything. If we're gathering sensor data, if we're gathering any kind of data, email or electronic, we wanna be really, really transparent with that. And we wanna educate people about why we're gathering that data. Oh, you're looking at the utilization of my workstation? Why is that? Oh, so that the workplace can be held accountable to my needs, not the other way around. But let people know and tell them the big picture and the why, give people control, The other thing is that there's no neutral on trust. Everything we do, all the decisions we make will either help people to feel more trusting toward their um, employer or less trusting. There is no neutral. So I think part of the takeaway, too, is for us to think really consciously about all the data we're gathering and what that means for people. And social norms are developing, right? Like our ability to gather data, the data that we have is way ahead of the social norms that really start to support that. Even think about the way that we communicate together anymore, right? Like, it used to be that we would call people. Like, we, we would call each other. Remember the olden days when we called each other? You ever see a payphone lately? Anyway, so we used to call each other, and that wasn't perceived as intrusive. But today, we can choose to call or text or email. And if I choose the um, the wrong choice, then that may be perceived as intrusive. So time will shift our expectations, and we think it's about doing the right thing.
1: It's It's amazing how this era of big data is changing everything. Sometimes we, we don't think of it that way where, okay, we've been talking about utilization for years, right? But where this is going, all the things she described in terms of Microsoft analytics and all this stuff, occupancy planning will be changing, right? We're going to be designing workplaces and looking at work types, right? And then placing, cre- creating neighborhoods based on how well people work together, right? Right. It'll be a whole neighborhood of, of people who like uh, certain uh, ways of working or they're really good at collaborating or whatever. This is all going to play into how a business leverages these these things. Um, and that's kind of hard to see right now. So sometimes we get the email from IT or HR and we feel like they're kind of getting in, uh, into our business a bit, uh, if you will. But there is, there is, I think, a balance sometimes um, right away. Other times... Just as, as, as she shared, our, our expectations expectations will change over time. Awesome. So
0: thank you, thank you for being yes. here. Please fill out your questions. Thank you for tuning in to What's Next. Have an idea or a point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org forward slash podcast.